Welcome to Views from the Porch, a lifestyle podcast where we have weekly conversations about some of the biggest challenges young adults face today. Our desire is to use God's word in our experience leading thousands of young adults at the porch to challenge you, push you, keep it real with you, and walk alongside you as you navigate your defining years as a young adult. For more info on the porch, visit theporch.live or follow us on social media. And with that, here's this week's episode. What's up, guys? This is David. We are back with another episode of Views from the Porch, joined with my boy, J.D. Rogers. What up? And Mrs. Becca from the block, Kepto. Hello, hello. Becca, three in a row? Yeah. Four. Four in a row. I've been here for a while. I've, mm-hmm. I've lost count at this point. Man. Yep. I love it. How's everyone doing? Pretty good. Um, it's a stressful season. Uh, Easter's like the Super Bowl of the church world. That's true. Mm-hmm. So it's just a lot going on around here. Yeah. We're excited. He has risen indeed. Mm. And, you know, I went to Dutch Bros today. I got a drink with an energy drink inside of it. And I am just amped up right now. Wow. I'm ready to go. Wow. <laughs> I, wait, what do you mean a drink with an energy drink? Like a coffee with an espresso? No, no, so I thought I was ordering tea, but apparently it's a tea mixed with an energy drink. Ooh, wow. Okay. Mm. Becca, expect big things. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm a little sick, but um, oh, we're going to have some fun. Great. Yeah, it's great. It's just guy. a little cough. But yeah. what are we talking about? Today we're talking about how much of the Bible has changed with culture mm-hmm. and if it has changed, mm-hmm. if there are things that you can read in the Bible and go, oh, I don't have to follow that because that was just to that culture. Um, but if that's the case, couldn't you say it about everything in the Bible? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we're talking about. So I think first, let's start with this question. Should everything I read in the Bible... Like, should I take it literally and do exactly what I read? No. In fact, if you literally follow the Bible, man, this is going to be provocative. You, I'm about to say something that you got to stay to the end because it's going to confuse you. If somebody tried to literally follow the Bible today, we would put them in jail. There, I said it. Hmm. Here's what I mean by that. If somebody, like when the book of Leviticus talks about, hey, if somebody is picking up uh, or doing work on the Sabbath, you should take him outside the city and stone him to death. Like, uh, if somebody told you to do that, you would say, no, you will not, or you will be put in a penitentiary for the rest of your <laughs> life for making that decision because it contradicts the national law of the land that we're a part of. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we're to follow the laws of the land before God's laws. It means there's two parts of this conversation. There's the Old Testament which is a lot more clear and clean. And I, I want to start there and then we can move to the New Testament. Does that make sense? Okay. So the Old Testament, Romans 10 says that Christ is the end of the law for everyone who believes. In other words, we now look at the Old Testament and we learn about the character of God. We learn stories about the people of God. We learn principles and eternal truths from God. And we discover more of who God is from these incredible written truths. They're not the basis for our relationship with God now. There's still things that apply, but in terms of there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. Those are no longer the grounds by which obeying them gives us a relationship with God or that earns us the right to spend eternal life with him. But there's things that we can learn from them. In the Old Testament, there's three categories of laws. Ceremonial or sacrificial 
which would be all of the different explanations of like, man, if somebody commits this sin or unintentionally commits this sin, they're to have uh, two doves that are to be sacrificed or this, and they can afford this. It's basically the entire sacrificial system that God set up, which we no longer follow because in Christ, the ultimate sacrifice was paid. All of those sacrificial laws were pointing ultimately to Jesus, right? Then you have the judicial laws or the uh, civil, civil laws. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That there's the ceremonial and then the civil. And the civil laws are basically God establishing a society. So in Deuteronomy 22, when it talks about how, hey, the first year of marriage, um, soldier or men should not go off to war because they should spend time with their wife. We no longer say, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't go off to war if you're married in your first year. But there's a principle you can learn from it of like, man, God prioritizes, I want husbands to build a foundation for that marriage to grow on top of. And there's things that we can learn from it. So there's the civil laws or the laws about like, hey, every king is to have their own copy of the Torah. It's another one of the laws in the Old Testament. Now we can learn from that, but we don't have to say, hey, um, I mean, it'd be a good thing that every president should have their own copy of the Bible and, and hopefully they do. But the truth for us is, man, God knows and is telling the nation of Israel, as goes the leader, so goes the people. And so I want the king, just like the priest, to have their own set of a Torah so they can be instructed by God's law. So we can learn that, hey, if you are led by somebody who's not living in accordance with God's word, it's not going to go well with you. There's still things to learn from, is my point. Then finally, the moral. The moral law. Yes. Yes. I remember. <laughs> yeah, you do. Ten Commandments. The moral law. And that deals with uh, the Ten Commandments. Um, it deals with the um, just just of God, that God would say, hey, there wasn't a, a welfare system in the nation of Israel. And so God declared, when you, this is such a cool law too, by the way, because there wasn't a welfare, there's no social security, there's nothing like that. God said, hey, when you harvest your crops, so if I, everybody's farming back then, I got land mm-hmm. and I go out and I got corn, I'm going to harvest and go around and pick it all up. You have to leave the edges of your fields for people who cannot, who, people who don't have food to come and eat. It was the system that God established for the poor. And so you can't, and you can't pick up anything that you drop, which is pretty crazy and smart law. But hey, if you drop a corn, you, you leave it there for those who are impoverished to come, which is the book of Ruth. If you remember, she was gleaning in his field. Yeah. And she would go and she was going to Boaz's field because Boaz being a righteous man was following that law. So there's moral laws. And I think those are the most timeless and most applicable, there's still not the basis of, um, you know, thou shalt not kill. That is a moral truth and you something that we should not do, or thou shalt not murder, I'm sorry. And we can take that truth and we know that if I live according to that, it's going to go better for me in life. That's not the way that I get eternal life though. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I use this illustration, or this may be an illustration that makes sense. When I was in high school, we had certain laws. You had to be at a class on time. Did you guys do demerits? Yeah. Yeah. Did you do demerits? Like in sports? No, demerits no. were like if you talked up in class or you were late or yeah. tardy or it's like if you got X number of demerits, then you had detention. Did you no. go to a tiny little high school? We in did, East and Texas? we just got spanked. <laughs> no, no, you, <laughs> you did, did not. not. Yes, we did. That's no. another with conversation. A, with a paddle. I have so many there questions. There is no way. Yes. You're not 85. Okay. Were, what do you mean what? 85? No, I, I was in I was in That's school. what they all used to do, but I don't know anybody that does. Anyways, so in high school? Yes. No wow. way. The, the principal would, specifically the guys. Okay, okay. He would have a paddle and he'd be like, 
bend oh, over. Wow. And then just whack the crap out of you. Guarantee that's wow. canceled. Guarantee I'm you. literally shook right now. I'm I can go further on that. They mm. would sometimes call your parents for permission before all that stuff. Wow. This small school though. Dude, that's great. So, anyways, in my high school, like you Becca, we had demerits. <laughs> if you're late, if you <laughs> if you acted shit. up, if you did, there were certain rules you had to obey or else you would get in trouble for them. A rule like, hey, you have to be on time to class or mm-hmm. no running in the hall with scissors. Yeah. I have now graduated from being underneath the system of that law. I'm a high school grad. No big deal. But Congrats. despite the <laughs> fact, thank you, that I have graduated from being underneath those laws, there's still things that are applicable and beneficial. Like, I don't have to be a class by 7.30 a.m., but it's still not a good idea for me to run in the hall with scissors. Yeah. There's still rules that I could say, man, that's a good idea. You shouldn't slap your classmate, and I shouldn't slap my coworkers. There's still things that are applicable for it to go well with you. And that's really what we do when we look at the Old Testament law. So when people go like, hey, but um, you eat pig, or you're okay with eating bacon— What's wrong with same-sex marriage? Well, you look at those laws and the reason they wouldn't eat pigs, one, because they were seen as just animals that there was a disease associated with it. Pigs are the only animal that doesn't sweat, fun fact. I knew that. Interesting. How gross is that? Disgusting. Just stays inside of them. (laughs) Anyways, so because of that, God wanted to protect and provide. And the same thing would happen with shellfish, that they would be bottom dwellers and there were diseases and there wasn't all of the purification systems that we have today. So those laws with the nation of Israel out of love those are distinct from laws that show up in or instructions that show up in the New Testament as it relates to sexuality and as it relates to more moral law things. And that's where homosexuality would fit into. It's a part of God's moral law. And it's candidly a lot easier when it's repeated in the New Testament because then it's just, it's just abundantly clear. This is still a part of God's design for life and the world to flourish. So that's the Old Testament. The hard thing, the last thing I'll say about the Old Testament is, J.D., you, you brought up, there's the civil, ceremonial, and then moral and sometimes those are called sacrificial, judicial, moral. It, they're not labeled. So you read through and there, mm-hmm. there may be one of each of those in a chapter in the Old Testament. So you have to go and evaluate each verse. And I remember asking a seminary professor, like, how do you know? And he said, you got to take each on a case-by-case basis. All of them have truths that you can extract and principles to apply. Like, hey, a loving father, just like a loving leader of anybody, is going to want to put in boundaries in the lives of his people to protect them. That, that would be what we can learn from, hey, don't eat you know, pigs or hooved animals. Don't killing people, don't kill people is because God created man in his own image and puts a high value on life. Each one of them we can come to and extract, but we have to be thoughtful about each of those verses. But the point is, or bottom line is, none of those are the ways or obedience to those don't give us a relationship with God. Can I say like, just like really quick language to help how I differentiate the three? Yeah. yeah. Um, because I'm a very simple person. I'm not very smart. Let's hear it. Um, with ceremonial, I think about festivals that I read about in the Bible and offerings, like when they had to just like present an offering or a sacrifice or when there was like a festival yep. um, that mm-hmm. they would hold in tradition, they would look to that the laws about like, because literally the Old Testament was full of like, then I want you to get two doves and I want you to all of that if it was like according to an offering or a festival Mm -hmm. that's what you put under ceremonial if it was about things like taxes or marriage um, how to do all those things like he literally gives laws about like here's what I want you to do with marriage here's what even today some of those principles we have today and like how you become married it's crazy like we call them civil laws like it's exactly the same there like things like that that we have to do today according to the law and then moral, I think about the things your mom and dad taught you. Like, hopefully, yeah. This is like the Ten Commandments. Like, hey, don't lie to your mom, or hey, don't you know hit your brother. Those things. If I read something that's like, hey, you should not. Um, when the laws say like you should not sleep with your 
brother's wife, you know, those all things are moral, just right or wrong kind of things. Totally. So that's just like a simpler way of when you're deciding which one of these. And I think it's relevant because the reason why they're still relevant today is because the purpose of those laws, Jesus says that uh, he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. That's right. And then Paul talks about in Romans how we can't just dismiss the law because Jesus came to fulfill it, like because he fulfilled it. We have to still acknowledge it and see it as good for us because the purpose of the law was not to make us unable to reach God. Mm-hmm. It was the way in which we could reach God before Jesus. And to till today, um, the Bible, it says in, I think, Second Timothy, that di- we we discipline ourselves for the sake of godliness. Yeah. The way you discipline yourself is by abiding according to the law. And so that you you those things are meant to produce sanctification and holiness in your life even still today. Now obviously there are things though. That's why I think I'll transition this now. There are things like uh the the people look at me and say, "Hey, you know the Bible says don't get tattoos." Yeah. And I'm covered in tattoos or it says, "Hey, don't eat pork and you're eating bacon." There's all these different things um, that how do you decide, or even when we'll talk more. Let's let's transition to New Testament of this. But how do you decide? Hey, that one's good for my kids in the Old Testament to follow, but they can eat bacon or get tattoos. Yeah, we did an entire episode on tattoos. So all of the Old Testament, like we were hammering, is no longer applicable to us in the same way it was in the nation of Israel. But now we can look at it and go, Hey, why would God give that law? On some of them, it's very clear. Hey, don't kill people or murder people because they're made in the image of God. And God puts a high value on human life. They're the most valuable thing on the planet. They would be the reason Jesus would die in their place. And so, of course, that makes total sense. Well, why would he say don't get tattoos? Historically speaking, in the nation of Israel, tattoos were a sign of your worship of another God, that people would worship other deities, nations around them, and they would have marks on their body to either display how they were willing to hurt themselves as a sacrifice to that God or of a mark that this is the God that I worship. So to set them apart and to be distinct with the nation of Israel in particular, God said, I want you to look outwardly different from the nations around you. Now in Christ, oftentimes uh, we are set apart, really we're set apart from a heart level and we're free from the law. Christ is the end of the law. Galatians 6 says, you're no longer under the law, but under Christ. And for us, tattoos, the most famous example is Jesus who shows up and on his thigh, it says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You got to ask the question, how did that, what is that? Yeah. Does God have a Sharpie? Like, is that going <laughs> to wash off after he shows up, you know, on a, on a white horse that's Revelation 19? And no, the most common interpretation is that he shows up and it's a tattoo Tatted. or an inscription Yatted. on his thigh. And there's a sword <laughs> coming out of his mouth and his eyes are like fire. And so that would be what I would do with pigs. And the same thing, you ask, well, what's the question why about pigs? And I feel like we already answered that of, hey, there was, there's disease, um, the trinoca, there's some disease that's hard to pronounce related to eating pork, especially that there was more common. And now today we just live in an entirely different environment, but we can still extract a truth from it. Well, David, before we get, move on too much, I would like to provide some air, some clarity for our audience um, so you were saying that God established these laws, but can you even like give more context of what you mean by that? And when were these laws established? Yeah, so the nation of Israel is set free and God knows they've only known slavery. They've been slave for 400 years. And Moses, you know, let my people go. Everyone remember, what's the Prince of Egypt? Oh, do I? Oh yeah, you do. 
And God then gives Moses, hey, here's the laws to obey. I, out of a loving father, I want to give instructions because I know that people need boundaries. They, mm-hmm. need, they don't need to do what feels right to them. They need to be entrusted and instructed with truth and with principles on how to flourish in life. So that's why God would say, here's how to orchestrate society. The societal laws or what he called civil laws were all given. Here's how to set up your nation because you're a brand, your baby nation. And so God gives the law through Moses on Mount Sinai and got the first five books of the Bible mm-hmm. are what that is, the Torah that were in script. Does that answer it? Yep. Okay. I want to keep us moving. Yeah. This is really good. Um, okay. Let's go to the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So the reason why this is a hot topic is because there is that controversy of, okay, Jesus, because of Jesus, we now no longer are a slave to the law. And I think that people, it's Romans 7, I believe, where Paul talks about how we are just because we're no longer a slave to the law doesn't mean that we don't still abide by it and that it's not still good. What's the language he uses? It, it's something like, uh, it, without it, how could I know how to like live for God? Yeah, right? it pointed like, to the fact that I'm a sinner. Right, right. Yeah. It like reveals what I still need to work on. Yeah. And so, um, but then I think a lot of people use Jesus as a cop-out to get to like, do what they want. Yeah. And they're met with like grace. You know, now it's all about grace and love. And it's so, it's so, it's a good argument in a way because you're like, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. funny is actually right before Romans 7, Romans 6, Paul says, we can't abuse grace though, that just because we have grace, we can't just sin all the more. We just can't keep sinning. So, how do I stop sinning? I look at the law and it's a helpful guide. So, all, anyways, all of that. What I think, so then I want to look at the law. I do want to follow it, but not be a slave to it. But then there's even like now these commandments that almost seem lawful in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are like letters to churches where because now, so Jesus comes, he dies, no longer a slave of the law. In Acts, he starts the church and now we are Christ to the world. Um, the spirit is in us. And Paul now spends a lot of letters to these different churches in these different towns to tell them, now here's how you live as the church. Here's how you live as the Christian. So we're like, hey, the Old Testament, that was for Israel for a time, but these are for the church, yeah. Yeah. right? Yep. I, I heard you say Old Testament stuff, you're no longer, here's how you pick and choose what you still follow, what you don't, all of that. First question, is that the true for the laws of the church and the New Testament, or is everything you read, you should follow what it says because you're a part of the church today? Yeah. I think everything that you read, you should ask, hey, what is the in- interpretation? What is like? What is the meaning of this, and how does it apply to me today? Okay. So when here's an example. When Paul tells Timothy, drink a little wine for your sickness. Your stomach is sick. Mm-hmm. Drink a little wine. Should we take that and say, like me today, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sick. Should I go, man, the Bible tells me I need to go get some wine because that's what's a little. Instruction. And yeah. What's a little? Yeah. <laughs> that what he's clearly referring to is in that time, water, there wasn't purification and our understanding of germs wouldn't come for another 1800 years. And so Paul is writing and saying what they knew at that time, hey, if you drink water, you may get sick. You drink wine, you get drunk, but you don't get sick because alcohol kills the bacteria that's right. inside of there. And so, hey, drink a little bit of that for your stomach and it may help kill any of the sickness that's inside of there. So the instruction that he's given to Timothy doesn't directly apply to us. And so we have to ask the question, what is it actually teaching? And what is the timeless truth that is behind that? 
probably the most common examples, and this may be where you're going and tell me if I didn't answer that question, is head coverings, relationship uh, between men, women, husbands, wives. Well, before we get to that, mm -hmm. okay, so I think another reason why people, uh, there's a few reasons why people debunk the New Testament and how, why they shouldn't follow it. You've seen that there's videos out there going crazy about debunking homosexuality, how it's not actually in the Bible and how it's not actually, like they they point, they take you to the, like the three, I think it's three scriptures on homosexuality in the New Testament and they prove all these points, whatever. And then another one that people say is, and that's because they're changing context. That's why you're saying it matters, context yeah. and all that. Author's intent matters. But then another thing is saying, is it trustworthy because it was written by man more so a lot of it by one man. And here's a verse that I'm going to be honest, I get tripped up on. When you go to the singleness chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 7, it says, and we teach this passage a lot, so that's where I'm confused. Um, it says in verse 25, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And then he goes off to give all these like, Basically, Paul opinion time with Paul. Yeah, That's what that yeah. sounds like to me. Yeah, yeah. He says, "I the Lord did not tell me to say this, but I'm going to write this in here." How do we not know that that's not just him, like giving his thoughts and feels? Yeah, and, on a and, matter. Then, and then, then how do we not know that that's not more of what he commanded us to do? And we're out here living our life thinking, "I got to do this because Paul wrote it because it's from God." And but how was he able to put this one isn't from God, but I'm going to put this one in here? Yeah. I think, so let's read the verses that he says there together, and then we'll come back to the head coverings of women. Okay. Unless you want to do an entire other one on there. <laughs> he says, um, not as a concession, now as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself, but each has his own gift from God. He's talking about being single. He basically says, look, if I'm being honest, I wish everybody would stay single because you're a superpower for the gospel in terms of your time, ability, etc." What if he was just salty because he couldn't get a girl? Mm. I mean, either way, he's admitting, hey, this is my opinion. I wish everybody was like me, but that's a concession, not a command. To the unmarried widows, I say it's good for them to remain single. If they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife, not I, but the Lord. As in, he's saying, hey, this is not me. This is from the Lord. As in, this is not a concession. This is God's word. To Mary, I give this charge. The woman should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to the husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So he clearly says, this is not me. This is the Lord speaking. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. So then here's here's the part that I think you're referring to, right? Yeah, verse 25. Uh, no, I was reading at 12. To the rest, I, Paul speaking, I, not the Lord. But yeah, he says it multiple times yeah. in the chapter. That if any brother has a wife or unbeliever who consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If a husband, if a woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So Paul is clearly saying, hey, these are my instructions to those who are married to an unbeliever. And he's making clear, hey, this is not from the Lord, but this is my instructions to her. That is the basis for which a lot of people come to that verse and they say, hey, he's saying if you're married to an unbeliever and they leave, you're free. Yeah. 
that people are saying, hey, that's what Paul is giving. And other people would come in from the other side and go, no, God's best is never that divorce takes place. And by not bound or not enslaved, he's not saying you're free to remarry. You're just not burdened with having to follow them for the rest of your life and chase after. So there's a lot of debate around. That's a great example of one that because Paul, and I think God sovereignly had him put that instruction, it's left a gray ground where Christians now have to go, what is the truth or what is the principle to, to apply? And people that we love and believe in and dis, um, and would partner with in ministry disagree. Yeah, because it just feels like, well, I don't, I'm not subject to following Paul's opinions. Mm-hmm. And so it's just interesting. He almost like, it seems like he's trying to give an out. Yeah. Like by saying, hey, this is just what I think. Yeah. And I don't, sort of- but I don't know anybody who, who says, hey, I'm not going to listen to that because um, Paul says, I think we actually do what he's saying. Here's what I mean. Now, concerning the engaged or betrothed, those who are set to be married, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't not seek a wife. Nobody reads that. I've never met anybody and says, hey, Paul says that because this distress in present time and the persecution we're going through right now, I shouldn't get married. Like my guess is, Becca, you don't read that and think, man, I, I guess I shouldn't get married according to Paul. I think you feel all the freedom in the world to get married, despite Paul giving his preference that people would live with reckless abandon for the gospel. I do get that, but I also get JD's point of maybe some people who are listening lack the confusion of, okay, if this could potentially be his opinion, then how do we know that this is something that we should still be following today? I think what I'm saying is because he marked it as his opinion, um, people, generally speaking, inside of the church don't follow that today. And I know that doesn't exactly give you the answer that you're kind of looking for. I'm just saying, I don't know anybody. I think everyone reads that passage and goes, oh, Paul is not forbidding marriage in his own opinion. He is saying, hey, anybody who, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. If a betrothed woman marries, she hasn't sinned. Like he clarifies, I'm not saying any of that sin. Those who marry will have worldly troubles. I want you to spare, spare you of that. Verse 29, the appointed time has grown short. From now on, let those who live with wives live as though they had none. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. I think he's just giving inspiration. And because you can't take that verse and read it in isolation without reading what he writes in Ephesians of going, hey, you should love your wife like Christ loves the church. Somebody could use that as an abuse. Live like you have no wife. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think for me, it's less about, I agree with what he's saying. It's more so like, and this we have to just trust God. Yeah. It's more so scary to know that he was able to put something in that quote unquote wasn't from the Lord. Right. That's what's like scary to me is I'm like, well, what if he did that again somewhere that we take so seriously? He just forgot to add that sentence when he wrote. And that's where I just have to trust God. And that it even could be like, I could see God being like, you think it wasn't from me, but. I give you every thought, and I let you put that in there. So, I, I mean, I get it. So, let, let's – we have about five minutes left. Let's move on. Um, oh. Could keep talking on that? What? No, I'm saying five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Is that enough time to cover, like, the most sensational aspect of this entire conversation, or should we should we hit it next week? Um, Maybe we should do a little teaser and see where it goes. Let's see how much we can get it done in five minutes. Yeah, yeah let's see. Okay. So, I think for me – now let's talk about cultural relevancy of 
the Bible, because what I've heard, just to recap what I've heard you say so far is um, we've talked about how the Old Testament law applies to us today and how we should view it and read it. We talked about in the New Testament, the commandments given to us as the church, we should look at the context and the author's intent. Yep. Now let's talk about cultural things because what I see a lot of times, a lot again in First Corinthians, you mentioned head coverings and in, in what's it, Titus or First Timothy, which one talks yeah, about first, how women should speak in the... Yeah, First Timothy too. Yeah, how women should not speak in the church or yeah. how they should not wear earrings or... There's just so many things that people today where it can get really confusing is we can read chapter 11 and be like, yeah, that was cultural. Girls don't have to wear head coverings anymore in church. But then you can read uh, stuff about like spiritual gifts and be like, he says, practice the gifts. And you're like, oh, no, that's not, that again wasn't, we're going to choose to not listen to him on this one because that's not culturally relevant, but then we're going to say that gifts don't exist today, and he's saying to practice them. So, like, I guess what I'm just saying is how do you pick and choose what was for specifically that culture yeah, and what still applies to us today? And I think another good one here is honestly, like, even sex outside of marriage, I think back then it was considered such a sin, and unfortunately culture has become so sexualized. So how today are we saying it's not okay. I think we should hit all of these in a part two because the answers are, are a little bit longer and I think important. Okay. And we're already 20-something minutes in, right? Well, guys, you're going to want to tune in for part two. It's going to be good. Let's go. No, I think, that's, I think that's helpful. And I think if we want to expound more, it's worth it because I do think people wrestle with this today. Yeah, I know I sure. do. Yeah, same. And I think that it's really... If we choose... What I want to talk about and let y'all kind of preview is just how do we, I'm not a, we're not Bible scholars. Everyone's just trying to read this thing. So not even just how do I interpret this correctly, Yeah. but how did you get to how you interpreted it correctly? Is something to talk about. Like how do we give them the tools on their own when they don't go to DTS, they work at a Richard's group, you know, they work somewhere else. Like how do they, cause it can be really intimidating to go find out the right interpretation because what I when I try to search on my own, I go to Google and it's like one article is like boom, 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 boom. And the next one is like completely opposing it. And I'm like, oh wait, so what's true? And how do I trust it? So I like it. Sounds like we're going to cover that next episode. Boom, teaser episode. All right, well, hey, that's it. Make sure you join us next week for another episode of Views from the Porch. Thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about The Porch, follow us on social media or visit us at theporch.live. And as always, go in peace and love to serve the Lord this week.